electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now and fast, a bruising end to a painful week on Wall Street, a wave of selling triggered by global recession fears and aggressive central bank actions here and around the world. The S&P already down over 22% this year. And the question now is, how much lower can it go? Plus, consumer crush, the XRT, the retail ETF, dropping even more than the broader markets, falling almost 7%. Is this just the beginning of an exodus from stocks counting on cash, from leverage, discretionary spending? And later, our chart of the week, we are actually putting the spotlight on a mega cap name, that finished the week close to close unchanged. We'll tell you why this name caught the eye of our traders. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Bono and Eisen, Jeff Mills, and Brian Kelly. And we start off with markets in turmoil. Stocks selling off right from the open. The major averages closed well off their session lows. But that didn't stop the Dow from finishing at its worst levels of the year. The S&P for the week fell over 4.5%. The Nasdaq tumbled more than 5%. The aggressive actions by the Fed and central banks around the world, a key catalyst for selling of stocks and the buying of bonds. Take a look at the action. The two-year jumped more than 30 basis points this week, the yield rising for the 12th day in a row. And historic moves in the currency markets, yet another trigger pressuring the markets. Dollar index rising nearly 3% this week, hitting a fresh two-decade high today. And this morning, the British pound falling to its lowest level against the greenback since 1985. So the question is, what happens now if you look at the Nasdaq, the growthy part of the market? It's fallen over 30% so far this year. How much more pain is ahead? Where will the pain be felt, Tim? Well, what happened in the U.K. this morning, Mel, I I think is is extraordinary because this is a developed market currency that behaved like an emerging market currency for a guy that spent a lot of time seeing things like the Turkish lira behave like this. And and we won't get into what they've done, but the dollar index doing another 1.3, 1.4 percent on top of a 25 percent move in the last year and a half only tightens financial conditions, only puts more pressure on multinationals, only does more to to really uh, slow down the economy. Now, that's maybe good news, again, for people that want the Fed to have different pieces of ammunition. We had a PMI number today that was actually uh, a lot stronger than expected, and it was somewhat inflationary. But the volatility in the market today, uh, and, and which punctuated another really difficult week, is coming from global macro. And as someone that's been in markets for a long time and has generally been focused on a lot of global macro, this is an extraordinary time. What happened in the U.K. to me, uh, and it, it underscores uh, the extreme weakness in the yen and, and some of these moves in markets that I think are challenging central banks uh, at the flip side of it, while policymakers and folks on fiscal policy side are putting more pressure on them. That's what's happening in the UK. That, to me, is what pushed markets around today. It was the fresh story of today, even though I think this is something we're going to be dealing with for a while. How do you piece all this together, BK, when you see the extraordinary volatility that we have seen in, in the bond markets, in the currency markets, and yet people will say the credit markets are behaving. There's nothing to look at here. This is very orderly and everything is fine. (laughs) Yeah, well, it wasn't, it didn't get, it was unorderly in the UK today. And I would argue that what's happening in the UK where they're basically cutting taxes, 
and spending more money to make sure that inflation stays low, which is if I had to describe something, well, how do you make this worse? You do exactly what they're doing, unfortunately. Um, but that is happening globally here. You know, this is what Europe's doing. This is what Japan is likely going to do. And maybe even the U.S. does at some point in time. So I think you have to say, listen, the currency markets matter now. They don't always to equity investors, but now they probably do. Because as we talked about last night, they're all on the edge of going, making these parabolic moves. And that filters throughout every other market, particularly U.S. equities. And when we talk about rates going higher, that filters into valuation of NASDAQ. So, you know, how much lower does the NASDAQ go? It wouldn't surprise me another 10% before the end of the year till we start to get valuations down to a point where maybe these currency moves and rate moves don't matter as much. Yeah, Jeff Mills, how do you put everything uh, together here, particularly when we're watching the 10-year yield? Today, it, it pushed 3.8 before backing off. Um, and so that, of course, has direct implications when it comes to valuations. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And look, I'm going to say a bunch of negative stuff. I think we all are. But the, the fact of the matter is practical advice for investors is if you have a time horizon more than a couple of years, you should be buying into this weakness. So if we say anything positive today, um, maybe that will be it. But you're right. I mean, the move in rates has been staggering. And I think the thing that's maybe more troubling is that what the Fed is doing today, what the Fed is going to do a month or two from now, you know, that's not going to impact the economy for what, another year, right? All of this thing, all, all of these things impact the economy with some sort of a lag. So by rule, the Fed is kind of feeling around in the dark here. And it's really clear that they're going to err on the side of crushing growth. And as we keep saying, that means Means we're going to have a hit to earnings, and that probably means we also have, to BK's point, you know, this steady state multiple in the markets, which is lower than what we've been used to. So I think that's what we're contending with here. We could certainly have uh, an oversold bounce as we move into the fourth quarter. Sentiment is very poor. You get past the midterms, maybe you get a slightly softer inflation print, uh, and you can see the markets move. But you know, a lot of these things that are typically associated with really durable long-term market bottoms, uh, I just haven't seen yet. Usually, you see the curve re-steepen into positive territory. We're not even close to that yet. Usually, you see a bottoming in leading economic indicators. In my opinion, we're not even close to that yet. No put call spike. VIX just above 30. So lots of things that tell me that there's probably more downside. So all these guys so far, Bonwin, have said a bunch of negative things to end the week, a terrible week on Wall Street and head into the weekend. Um, but here's one positive, is that the S&P 500 tested June lows, closing lows, and we finished above. Isn't that good news? Uh, sure, and I'll, I'll, I'll take your positive news and I'll raise you one. I think there is some psychological um, demand to kind of purchase at that June low because we saw such um, a pretty violent increase uh, and appreciation from those lows. Uh, with that said, I think that's kind of the limit of, of what I can say that sounds a bit rosy because you know it's my job really here to kind of give you my, my true feelings about things and I think they're very well known at this point. Um, just kind of piggybacking on the currency move, I think there's two things that are actually pretty pivotal here. One is the carry trade and that speaks to the you know Japanese yen kind of sell off and why we will continue to see people borrow in that currency and then deploy capital in the U.S. markets. Um, and then it, as it pertains to the pound, I think this really gives you the push-pull dynamic of why the Fed is on the path that they're on, which is they, you, you have a situation there where you are fighting a recessionary situation with inflationary pressures on the upside of goods and services. And that is what the Fed is trying to avoid here. And I know a lot of us have come on here and talked about what we think the Fed should do. 
Ultimately, I'm not here to be right, and I don't think any of my other co-panelists are either. We're here to make money, and ultimately, I think we need to start assessing what is, what the data is that we do have, how asset prices are reacting to the, to the actions that have been taken, rather than part and parceling what we think should happen. That opinion really is a moot point. I don't want to be right, um, or if I do, it comes secondarily to, to making money, and I, and I really want to hammer that point home. Uh, Tim, I want to get back to what what has happened in the UK this morning because I think what they unveiled in terms of the stimulative measures on the fiscal side are really it's really important because it's really acting at odds with its own central bank, and it's an uh, introducing it's crazy. right. So we've, we, we've yet to see this, and and you can make an argument that the fiscal guys are finally pushing back on monetary policy guys and saying for a decade you made our job very difficult, or maybe just no matter what you put yourself in this situation, we now need to do something. And, and look, there's a lot of politics involved in fiscal policy. Let's be clear. In, in the UK, uh, you've got a new prime minister. doesn't really have much of a mandate. It makes a lot of this that much more extraordinary. And again, we're talking about UK Reaganomics. And, and Reaganomics um, went down at a time when debt to GDP levels were so different. Again, I talked about even that was the last time we saw this kind of a hike in interest rates. So um, I, I guess, yes. So when you do this to cut your budget and you don't have a way to pay for it. In fact, you kind of just said, we'll figure it out somewhere down the road. You torch your currency. You turn your currency into an emerging market currency. And then you have the biggest sell-off in gilts uh, in UK bonds, uh, arguably ever. So what you've done is you've actually made inflationary pressures more difficult for the central bank. You've raised borrowing costs, which are a headwind and a break on the economy. It doesn't make sense. Um, I understand why policymakers in the UK wanted to do this. It's politically the right thing to do. Although, again, the politics around this I think over there, their problem, um, but it, it's creating some social issues as well. And here's a question that comes out of that, and I'll go to you, BK, on this, and that is, if the fiscal forces are combating what the central bank is, is trying to do, which is to tame the inflation dragon, so to speak, um, it almost seems like whatever recession the UK and potentially Europe may spin into will be even worse if what the central bank is trying to do is going to be even that much harder to accomplish. Yeah, well, it'll it'll be more painful because you'll have inflation sticking around, right? So we've talked about this. Whatever, what the central bankers are trying to do is get demand destruction. That means they don't want you to buy anything. They that means they want you to buy less gas and less cars and they and less clothes and less acid wash jeans for Tim. That's what they're trying to do. And so that is going to create a recession. But at the same time, now they're giving people money and saying, by the way, I know prices are high, so spend again. So it's contradictory. So that's happening in the UK. It's happening in Europe. And frankly, mm -hmm. it's, it's happening here in the US. And I wouldn't uh, be surprised if it continues to happen, particularly as we go into the next presidential cycle. So you have people, there's no demand destruction. Inflation sticks around for way longer than anybody thinks, which is why I've been saying that I think rates stay higher for a heck of a lot longer. Inflation's going to be stickier uh, because there hasn't been any demand destruction yet. By the way, nothing gets between Tim and his acid wash jeans. No, I mean, I will say you know, one <laughs> less pair of acid wash jeans, but it doesn't stop me from going out and buying an acid wash jean vest, which is a great look, <laughs> That by will the way. be a sight to behold. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's get to energy here, which was today's worst performing sector, down almost 7%, and the price of WTI fell back to its lows of the year at one point today. So where do we go from here? The chart master, Carter Worth of Worth Charting, is here to take us through. Carter, what are you looking at? Well, before we get to the charts, I mean, I'm just in the camp that it's uh, overdone, just as it was so overdone at 130 a barrel and it was love, predictions of 200. I think we've got the equal and opposite circumstance here. But the key is this, as I see it, 
June 17th is a critical day, right? It's the low of the S&P, and the S&P is returned to that low. So from June 17th to present, the S&P is unch. Gold is down 10%, copper down 16%, oil down 27%. Uh, I think it's overdone, and you want to step in and do some buying. Let's look at a couple charts. The first is uh, two lines. It's a comparative line. It's just looking at the commodity and uh, the stock complex, otherwise known as the sector, the XLE. And the spread is getting to the point where I think you, um, again, be contrarian and buy oil. So now a few oil charts, they're all the same chart, and it's just different ways to draw the lines. We're down 40%. We know we hit that high of 130 a barrel in, in March, and we hit a low today of 78. Closed at 79.35. Let's put some lines in. We are down to support. Final chart, it just has an arrow. I've drawn it as an up arrow. I think you take advantage of what is a fairly extreme day over day, week over week sell off. And again, compared to most other things, so much worse than where it was in the middle of June. Carter, thank you. We'll see you soon on Options Action. Jeff Mills, do you find value here in energy equities? Yeah, we talked about that divergence between energy equities and the commodity. And look, I think this week you saw some things from the supply-demand perspective in the commodity that weren't great, right? You had demand numbers in emerging markets more generally not very good. Demand numbers from China uh, clearly awful just given zero COVID policies. And, and there was this narrative that China was going to be the saving grace. They were going to reopen, offset some of the slowdown in the rest of the world. Now that's in question. But overall, I still think the supply dynamic, dynamic if you look between now and you know through 2023, uh, it lends itself to support in oil from here and probably moving higher. But I think you can focus on stocks like, you know, say EOG. It's a stock I mention a lot because it does have this low cost structure. If you listen to the last earnings call, CEO said they can pay their current dividend at $44 in WTI. Um, you could see $100, I think, in that stock. Uh, that, that's where support would be. So I'd look to that level. Uh, another stock uh, like Chenier, you know, structural tailwinds there. Watch 149 for indications of support. But there are areas of value, I think, in those names and just generally in the energy space because I think the commodity does go higher from here. All right, coming up, Nike on deck to report earnings this week. Should you run into this name or put it on your bench? We're keep, keeping up with the consumer next. And later it's Friday, and that means it is time for the chart of the week. We'll bring you the one stock on our traders' radar, but they're watching for market direction. The name straight ahead. Stick around, much more Fast Money in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. A rough end to the week for consumer stocks. The XRT, the retail ETF, hitting a new 52-week low, down 6.5% since Monday. Names like Tesla, Tapestry, Ralph Lauren, and Amazon getting hit hard, all down more than 3% today. Nike also hitting fresh lows today, trading at levels not seen since July 2020. They report earnings next week. Should investors brace for more selling in the sector? Certainly, investors be looking for the guidance when it comes to supply chain and China, Bonowin. Yeah, this is a name that's been on the radar for some time. I think it's top of class, um, and I can understand the concern around the consumer there. I don't really like the space overall, but I think it makes for a pretty intriguing relative value play. If you kind of look at its forward price to earnings, around 96 bucks, this is, we're talking about 26 times forward earnings. I don't think we've seen uh, that multiple since around 2015. With that said, given where we are in the rate environment, there, there is an argument to be had that these multiples should be lower. But on relative value to XRT, to comps, and to where it's been, I do think this is a level where, at least personally, I would start deploying some capital to that. Yeah, what I love about Nike in this environment, it's a stock that I'm long, and, and it's been painful. Um, and, and it really will be about North America. We know China's going to be about 10% down. North America is expected to be up about 9 But it, it's a free cash flow story at a time when, if you're investing in companies right now, folks, you have to be finding companies that are generating capital, that have balance sheets. Nike is that company. Uh, it is a question of what's that multiple. There's a lot of scenario analysis you can do on this. But I think it, it, it deserves uh, somewhere close to a 30 forward multiple. And, and that's something that at least is a major discount to where it's traded. So uh, at this point, and we, we talked about some downgrades in the stock, uh, I think, earlier in the week. Um, that's great. Um, stock's down 45 percent from the highs. I mean, the concern was weakness in the wholesale channel specifically. Um, The 4P is 26, BK. Do you like this one? I mean, market multiples, what, 17, 16? No. No. BK ain't going to do it. Not at all. And and that you exactly you hit right on it, right? Markets at set market multiples at seventeen. I'm in an environment where the Fed doesn't want me to buy new sneakers. They want me to walk around with my old ones and repair the soles. Until we get to that point, I can't buy Nike. But 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 Jeff Mills, don't certain stocks deserve a premium because of the cash flow, because of the business, because all these things. Yeah, I I think in in a lot of environments, that's probably true. And look, I've talked about Nike and Lulu as places where you want to focus your attention, sort of a barbell, higher end versus lower end, uh, you know, the dollar generals of the world. But listen, you know, I I talked about that level of $100 on Wednesday. It's sort of knifed through that today. So just from a technical perspective, I think maybe you could have some more downside. And I think BK kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Unemployment is going to be higher six months from now than it is today. And I think that that's sort of the crux of it. So right now you want less discretionary spending. What worked today in the market? Less discretionary spending. Like I said, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, AutoZone, McDonald's, and then, of Mm -hmm. course, you know, utilities, healthcare, et cetera. And I think that's probably going to be the case for a while. Coming up, one name outperforming this week. So should you bite into this stock? That was a clue. We'll reveal the chart of the week next. And throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's one of our CNBC producers. I was born and raised along the border in the Texas Rio Grande Valley, and I'm blessed to come from a loving, working-class Mexican-American family. Growing up as the second of six kids meant there was always someone to lean on when times got tough, no matter how far away we went for college or for work. One of my sisters told me there's beauty in the struggle, and it's not always easy, but our challenges shape us. It's important to remember where you come from, because no matter where you go or who you meet, you represent your people and your culture wherever you go.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our chart of the week reveal. So what is it? It's hmm. Apple, the mega cap oh. tech name falling one and a half percent today, but basically flat for the week. And in this market environment, that's pretty darn good. So what does Apple holding up this week mean for what is ahead for the stock market? Again, I will posit a positive spin on this. Isn't that a good thing, BK, that the largest company in the world is actually holding up relative to the rest of the market? I, uh, I'll go with yes. And, and you know, just because I want to be positive, we've been negative the whole show. So what, what the heck? I mean, I you guess you, relative strength's okay. It means that, yeah, well, I mean, what it means is people haven't panicked yet. That's what I think, right? So, you know, Apple's one of these darlings. People have owned it forever. They love it. It means people haven't panicked yet. So if I'm looking at that and saying there's a divergence between Apple and what the overall market's doing, when I see Apple crack, that means to me there's another leg lower in the stock market. So I don't know if that's really positive. I'm trying to be as positive as I can, but I don't know. I, I think it's a negative. Another leg Sorry. lower is definitely not positive. Uh, Jeff Mills, <laughs> what's your take no, on this? No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound positive to me at all, but it was a good try. I, I applaud BK for at least giving yeah. it a shot. And look, 150 has been this battleground, right? And I think if it breaks that level, which it probably will, then you're headed to those June lows. And you know, I was just looking at a couple of stocks today, and I think the risk still is from some of these larger names. If you look at Apple, Amazon, Tesla, for example, they're about 13% of the S&P 500. They're still 10, 15% above those June lows. I can't imagine that those three stocks levitate throughout all of this. So I think that will bring things down. And just lastly, we're talking about the dollar. You know, let's not forget, Apple has about 65% of its sales outside of the US, 18% in China. Um, so there's some currency risk associated with that. And I've been pretty vocal about what I think about the labor market and the consumer and the impact that has on earnings at these valuations. So uh, again, not, a, not such a positive story for me. And, and Tim, this is a point that you've repeatedly made, and that is if companies continue to warn, that means a slowdown in enterprise spending, eventually. We just haven't gotten it. And, and so for Apple, maybe a little less important, maybe less of a headline than it might be for Microsoft or Amazon, where you're getting the best part of your growth multiple there. But in Amazon's case also, this is typically the season as we get through, we know September historically is a bad month, but in terms of Apple and the holiday season, mm -hmm. you start to price in holiday season. We've gotten some decent data points out of the iPhone 14. Um, it has outperformed the market, but that, that to me, I'm, I'm taking the other side of the positivity there. I, I just think you can't hold up and ultimately this will be the last oh. battle fought. So, you know, so far it, it, three out of four. It, it should be the most defensive stock in the market. It is 7% of market cap, has some of the best cash flow dynamics and the best balance sheet in the market. There's no reason it should hold out. It's well above those June lows, as Jeff pointed out. I, I, that scares me. We have a little bit of time because I want to know what Bonwin thinks. Three out of four traders so far say don't don't go with Apple Bonoin. What do you say? Uh, I guess third time's a charm. I think I've been on the show twice talking about Apple. So I gave you the, the, the case for Nike that yes, they do have a bit more debt, but I talked about where their multiple is relative to where it's been. It is the exact opposite with Apple. And I know BK tried to be positive, but the fact that it has held up um, <laughs> and, and the rest of the market has not is exactly what gives me the downside concern. All right. So clean sweep here, negativity from Apple. Speaking of Apple, do not miss Carter Worth breaking down his technical take on the stock. The chart master next on Options Action. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. BK Brian Kelly. Yeah, I'm back to negativity on this one. You want to sell FCX. Copper, not so shiny. Bono in. Uh, you know what, with rates where they are, I think other asset classes start to look, attract start to look attractive. Take a look at PVI. Jeff Mills. 
Surprise, surprise, I'm a seller of Apple here. I think it breaks <laughs> 150. There's a catch-up trade to the downside. Tim Seymour. Have a good weekend. Try to. Diageo might help, and I think CPG holds up in a difficult market. That does it for us here on Fast. Don't go anywhere. Options action is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.